0: with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. Imagine you're sitting at your desk. You're about to start working on a big proposal for a new client and your phone pings. The next thing you know, you've been scrolling through Instagram for an hour. You put the phone away, determined to get some work done, but then you realize, well, you're kind of hungry and you haven't walked the dog yet. You think to yourself, now would be a good time for a break. After all, I haven't really gotten started and I'll come back and do the real work later. Now it's late. Hours have gone by and you're no closer to finishing your work. The stress creeps in as you start to wonder if you can get it all done. Somehow the day slipped by again. Sound familiar? I've been there plenty of times myself. If you can relate, this episode is for you. These days, we're constantly battling distractions. They're everywhere. They're on our phones, our computers, and our Slack channels. With our devices constantly demanding our attention, it seems harder than ever to stay focused. Too often, we blame ourselves, thinking we just lack the willpower to stay focused. My guests today, productivity experts Nir Eyal and Ethan Cross, share how we can overcome distraction and lead more present, productive, and fulfilling lives. How? By curating our environments and habits of mind to become indistractable. Nir and Ethan have spent decades studying productivity and human behavior. Nir is an expert in behavioral engineering and is the best-selling author of Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. And Ethan is an experimental psychologist, neuroscientist, and the best-selling author of Chatter, The Voice in Our Head, Why It Matters, and How to Harness It. In this episode, Nier and Ethan share actionable techniques for regaining focus and reducing distraction. They discuss how we can truly integrate these techniques into our lives to become indistractable. As you know, I'm insanely busy. We publish three episodes a week here at Young and Profiting, and I'm the CEO of Yap Media, a social media and podcast agency. I have a podcast network and I have a personal life. Tips like the 10 minute rule that Neer and Ethan discuss in this episode have already helped me limit distractions and stay focused on the important work. I I need to get done. And I know you're going to get a ton out of this episode too. This is a highlight episode from a two-hour Clubhouse Live I did with Nier and Ethan. So if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to go check out the unedited version as well. Nier has been on the podcast before, and that's episode number 34, and Ethan was on -on one-on-one back in episode number 122. If you want to learn from either of these experts, be sure to check out those episodes. All right, without further ado, enjoy my conversation with productivity experts Nir Eyal and Ethan Cross. When we're talking about distractions, I think people usually think of like phones, pings and rings, but it turns out that distractions can be in our own mind. And that's what you talk about, Ethan. You talk about chatter. You wrote a book called Chatter and How to Harness It. And in that book, you refer to chatter as the negative thoughts and emotions that make introspection a curse rather than a blessing. So can you talk to us about what chatter is exactly and what role chatter plays in our ability to focus and get things done?
1: sure so we we've got this amazing capacity to introspect to turn our attention inward to reflect on our lives and this is one of our superpowers it lets us do lots and lots of things like like solve problems like control ourselves like create stories that explain who we are you know i get i get rejected by someone or you know a, a publisher or whomever and I can make sense of that experience. Well, why did I get rejected? Well, maybe I didn't do my job. I could tell a story that gives rise to a sense of who I am. So this ability to introspect is, is great, except oftentimes it runs off track. So oftentimes when we experience negative events, we go inside and we try to make sense of them, but we end up getting stuck in, in negative thought loops. So we you know if it's a negative thought loop about the future, that's worry, oh my God, what if this happens? What am I gonna do? If it's about the past, we call that rumination. I can't believe I said that to that person earlier today. Oh my God, what are they going to say? Is that going to jeopardize the job? And getting stuck in these negative thought loops is is a pervasive experience. It's one of the core features of anxiety and depression. And so it's a big problem that we want to figure out how to address. And it relates very prominently to what we're talking about, right? Getting distracted because we only have a limited amount of attention that we can focus on at any given time and so if all of your attention is focused very narrowly on your worries and ruminations it doesn't leave a whole lot left over to do the things you want to do like in your case and mine too listen really genuinely listen to those we love uh, or our colleagues or really focus on on a report an example i like to give people to really drive this home is to ask people to just think about a time when they tried reading a couple of pages in a book, four or five pages, they are positive that they've actually read the text, right, their eyes have scanned over the words, but they get to the end of those five pages and they don't remember a damn thing that they've read. What happens there is your attention is on something else and so you can't do your job. So, so chatter is something that can powerfully undermine our ability to think and perform and uh, that's one of the, the ways it can sink us.
0: Yeah, I definitely want to talk later on in terms of how we can turn chatter from destructive to productive. But before we do that, I want to stay on this theme of distraction is actually an inside job. So Nir, I know you talk a lot about the difference between internal triggers and external triggers when it comes to distractions, and I'd love for you to break that down for us.
2: First, it's important to talk about what is the difference between traction and distraction that many people think the opposite of distraction is focus. And I would argue that's not exactly right, That the opposite of traction is distraction. So traction is anything you decide to do in advance, something that you want to do with your time, anything that's in accordance with your values and moves you towards who you want to be, that's an act of traction. The opposite is distraction. So anything that moves you away from what it is you said you want to do with your time and attention. And so I think it's a really important dichotomy because I think it gets us away from saying, oh, certain behavior evil, but somehow watching you know, football on TV, that's okay. <laughs> right? There's, there should be no you know, moralizing of how people spend their time. It's all fine, it's not a distraction per se, if it's what you plan to do with your time. So that being said, once you know what it is you want to do with your time, if you go off track from that task or anything you want to do with your time, if you go off track, that would be a distraction. So the question is, why do we get distracted? If we know what we want to do, and this is, by the way, an age-old problem, Plato, the Greek philosopher, 2,500 years ago, so well before the internet and Facebook and all that, complained about this very same problem of distraction. He called it akrasia in the Greek, the tendency to do things against our better interest. And so the question is, why do we do that? Right? If we know what we want to do, why can't we just carry out that action? Why do we get distracted with something else? And so the reason is because we have two kinds of triggers. We have the external triggers. These are the usual suspects, the pings, the dings, the rings, anything in our outside environment that pulls us away from what we said we were going to do. But it turns out studies find that that's only 10% of the time that we get distracted are we distracted because of an external trigger, which is kind of counterintuitive. Most people think, oh, I wanted to work on this big project, but then my phone rang, or then uh, you know a Slack notification or something popped up, and I got pulled off track. But actually, that's only 10% of the time. So what's the other 90%? The other 90%, as Ethan and I have alluded to, are what we call these internal triggers. Internal triggers are uncomfortable emotional states that we seek to escape from. So it can be boredom, loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty, anxiety, stress, any of these uncomfortable sensations that we seek to escape. And so how many people deal with those uncomfortable sensations. And so this is where I think Ethan and my work kind of fit hand in glove, is that I study what happens in terms of the action, right? You'll notice that traction and distraction both end in action. So I study what happens when we feel these internal triggers And then we do something that either we wanted to do or didn't want to do. And so what oftentimes people do when they feel this discomfort of boredom or loneliness, stress, fatigue, is that they look for escape. So whether it's turn on the news or check Facebook or uh, do anything other, that we escape that internal trigger, that emotional discomfort.
1: Ethan,
0: I want to go to you really quick. I was doing some research, of course, for this show, And I came across uh, one of your studies that you completed with several colleagues, where you took a sample of four and six-year-old children, and you invited them to complete a boring task on a computer, and you discovered the Batman effect. So can you talk about the Batman effect and walk us through this study and what you found?
1: So the Batman effect really builds off some of the work I was talking about earlier, that involves using your name to coach yourself through a problem. And the question is, well, how do you do that? How do you use that tool with kids? And so what my collaborators and I came up with was, what if you were to ask a kid to basically adopt an alter ego, and in particular, the alter ego of a superhero who's really good at persevering through arduous, difficult tasks? and. Um, that gave rise to this idea, of this this Batman effect. We had some kids try to work on this difficult task, and periodically we they would be instructed to ask themselves, "How am I doing?" In the first person, but in another condition, uh, we had the kids don a superhero costume, so they got to choose between a few different superheroes, like Batman or Dora the Explorer, and they basically adopted this persona, and so. During the task, they would be asked to ask themselves, so how is Batman doing? Now what do we know about Batman and Dora the Explorer? I should confess, I didn't know much until uh, (laughs) I had kids and started getting into superheroes with them. But they do, they persevere. And in fact, what we found is that when you ask a kid to pretend they're a superhero and actually use that superhero name to refer to themselves or really get them to uh, adopt that identity, that can have useful consequences for their ability to do the kinds of things that they often struggle with, like homework. Now, for adults, using your name is sufficient to do that. So, come on, Ethan, here's what you got to do, right? That gives you some distance. For kids, pretending that they're a superhero is a way of giving them some distance from their experience as well. On top of that, there's also this identity piece, which is, these are role models, right, that are really often good in the context that we're studying. they Like Batman perseveres through difficulty. So does Dora the Explorer. So if you're adopting that identity, you're also going to want to persevere.
0: And now a quick break from our sponsors. Young and profiters. They may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now. And I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting.
2: So if I can just chime in, I I love this. Uh, In fact, the reason I called my book Indistractable is that indistractable sounds like indestructible. It's meant to sound like a superpower. It's a superpower that I wanted when I was talking with my daughter. That would be the superpower that I I, I now most wish for, and and thankfully I can, I can call myself indistractable. And I think we can all call ourselves indistractable. I mean, this is really the identity that we can use to have that superpower impact, that, that superhero identity. And we want to also be careful about how we adopt these temperaments, these self-images, because many times they can serve us and they can also hurt us, as you mentioned, you know, this villain aspect as well. And there's a more subtle effect that we notice, you know, much of this research around identity comes from the psychology of religion, that when people have a moniker, they are much more likely to accomplish the goals that are consistent with that identity. So when someone calls themselves a vegetarian, right, they don't wake up in the morning and say, Oh, I wonder if I should have a bacon sandwich for breakfast. No, they are a vegetarian It is their identity It is who they are. And so having that moniker, having that identity, making what I call a, an identity packed with yourself by calling yourself something is incredibly effective. It can also harm us if we pick the wrong identity. Well, what does that sound like? These days you'll hear many people who say, oh, I have a short attention span. I'm bad with time management. I'm not a morning person. I'm a Sagittarius, <laughs> right? Pick your moniker. and. We just have to be very careful about which ones we pick because many of these identities provide self-limiting beliefs. They don't help us, they harm us. So we wanna be very careful in terms of picking identities that move us forward to what we want in life, making that pact to make it easier to make the right decisions, but also dissolving those identities that do nothing but keep us back. I completely
1: agree, Nir. That's directly consistent with what we find in these Batman Effect studies. And I think your point about being careful about the identities we choose raises another really important point about the broader set of tools that exist for managing the mind, managing our attention, and when they're useful and when they're not. You know, I think a lot of people often are looking for simple tools that work across all situations. So let me, you know, what is the one thing I can do to manage my chatter or or manage my distractions across the board? And I'd be curious to get your take on this, Nir, but but my sense is that there's a time and a place for lots of different tools. So you really need to think carefully about how you're using different tools because any tool can be, if pushed too far, become counterproductive. So I like to draw the analogy to like, you know, use the metaphor of a hammer, right? A hammer can be the source of, you can build wonderful things with a hammer, but if you swing that hammer too hard, that can also cause destruction. And I think the same is true for tools. We have evolved the capacity to use lots of different tools to manage our minds, and I think the real challenge is to figure out when to use the different tools
2: and what combinations and in what situations. Absolutely, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I hear this all the time with people uh, and technology distractions, right? What's the one life hack? What's the one app? What's the one technique I need to use? Tell me the magic bullet, right? <laughs> like, Do I grace yeah. me, screen my phone? Do I, uh, you know, is there some service I should use? And, and of course, it's yes and no. Uh, it's about using a concert of tools together. I think the one insight I, I, I think is very important to realize is that we need to focus less on the tactics, Right. Tactics are what you do. Strategy is why you do it. And so I think that's why it's so important for folks to understand the deeper psychology, the deeper reason why we go off track, get distracted, whatever the case might be, because then you can find all kinds of tactics that are consistent with your strategy. But if you don't understand the underlying psychology, for example, you know, in the research I did with Indistractable, and I know you're deep into this research, understanding these internal triggers, like once you realize that, wait a minute, distraction begins from within overwhelmingly. It's not about what's happening outside of me. It's about what's happening inside my own head. Now we can get to the root of the problem and we have all kinds of techniques that we can use and cycle through. You know, many times I'll recommend a, a certain technique and someone will try and say, "Ah, eh, that wasn't so great, what else you got? And they'll try the second technique or the third technique and oh, that's the one that really clicks. So it's really about experimentation and not settling with, ah, that's it, this has gotta work or, or I won't try anything else it's being a scientist, not a drill sergeant. And I think that this is very consistent with what you were saying earlier in terms of uh, distant self-talk and self-compassion. You know, Many people, when it comes to distraction and focus, they talk to themselves not like a good friend, they talk to themselves like a drill sergeant, right? They're mean to themselves, (laughs) they bully themselves, as opposed to the right attitude, I think, is to be a scientist. What does a scientist do? A scientist comes up with a hypothesis, they run an experiment, and then they see the results, and then they run another experiment. So that's really how we want to think about this. It's a constant cycle. You're never done being indistractable, just like you're never done being creative. It's something that we iterate upon so that we get closer and closer to that desire.
0: I do want to get into some more techniques on how to mitigate distractions, how to psychologically trick ourselves to focus better. Is there anything that you guys want to cover that we haven't talked about yet that you think is super interesting and super practical for people to use to be better focused
1: So, you know, the perspective that I adopt is, if chatter is really the source of the consumption, so, you know, your worries and ruminations are making it really hard for you to achieve your goal, or I think in Mir's language, get the traction you want, well, how do you tame that chatter? How do you get a handle on it to free up those mental resources to allow you to get back to doing what you want to do? So we talked about distant self-talk, Another. Another very easy to implement tool is something called temporal distancing or mental time travel. So there, if you're dealing with an acute stressor that's really consuming you, you've just, you bombed the presentation, the date went horrible, the performance went bad, you can't stop thinking about it. There, one really useful science-based tool, science-based activity you can engage in is to think about how are you going to feel about this experience down the road? a month from now, six months from now, a year from now. What engaging in that very, very simple mental exercise does for us is it makes it clear to us that, hey, how am I gonna feel about that faux pas I made earlier today? I put my foot in my mouth on a a call. True story, I actually did. How am I gonna feel about this a month from now? It makes me realize this is gonna pass. I'm gonna do something else embarrassing two days later. And so when we jump into that mental time travel machine, and we think about how we're gonna feel about this event in the future, what that often does is it makes it clear that what we're going through is is temporary. It'll eventually pass. And that gives us hope. And hope, it turns out, is a pretty powerful tonic when it comes to this monkey, chatter-filled mind. And it helps diffuse that kind of thought looping. So that's another easy-to-use tool that that a person can implement on their own. Let me pause there to see if Neer has anything to add to that. I can move on to some other tools easily as well.
2: Sure, thanks. So, so I would say that there's these four big strategies. So Step number one is mastering the internal triggers. We talked a little bit about internal triggers, and I'll come back and give you a very practical technique that we can use around mastering those internal triggers. Uh, step number two, the second strategy, is to make time for traction. So this is very important because you can't call something a distraction unless you know what it is distracting you from. So many times, you know, I I hear people who are struggling with time management and focus, and then I say, okay, well, what did you get distracted from? Show me your calendar. And it's pretty blank, (laughs) right? There's maybe a dentist appointment or uh, one thing or another. But, you know, if you have just swaths of open time in your schedule, if you're using a to-do list to run your life rather than a calendar, you're making a huge mistake you've got to use what we call time boxing, which is um, basically uh, making an implementation intention. It's setting down what you want to do and when you want to do it. That's a critical practice of knowing what you want to do with your time because that's the only way to know the difference between traction and distraction. The third step is to hack back the external triggers. So this is where we get very practical in terms of all those pings and dings in our environment. Uh, how do we you know, hack back our phones, hack back our computers, hack back our environment, right? What do we do when it's our kids that are distracting us, our roommate, our spouse, our significant others? You know, how do we make sure that we can hack back all those external triggers, even though they make up a small percentage of the reason we get distracted? There are some very practical things we can do there. And then finally, we make pacts. Pacts are the firewall against distraction. We talked about some of those earlier, like identity packs. We can also use what's called an effort pack, where we put some, some friction in between us and the distraction. We can also use what's called a price pack, where there's some kind of financial disincentive to uh, going off track. And so that's the, the last line of defense. It's not something we want to do first, it's something we do after the, the first three techniques. Let me, let me talk about one technique that I use almost every day in that first strategy of mastering the internal triggers. This is called the 10-minute rule, and I can't take credit for it. This comes from acceptance and commitment therapy. It's been around for decades, but it's a really effective technique because as we talked about earlier, you know, many people, when it comes to distraction, when it comes to focus, when it comes to trying to steer clear of temptation, whether it's eating that piece of chocolate cake if you're on a diet or smoking that cigarette or checking your newsfeed when you wanna do work, they tend to go towards abstinence. We tell ourselves, don't do that, (laughs) right? And it turns out that this research around abstinence shows that for many people, it can backfire, especially when the triggers are so prominent, right? We can't escape food, we have to eat. We can't escape technology. We depend upon it for our jobs. So rather than telling yourself no, you wanna tell yourself not yet. Because telling yourself no is like pulling on a rubber band. You pull, 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 pull until you can't pull anymore. And then eventually when you let go, the rubber band doesn't just go back to where it started. It ricochets across the room. And so that process of telling yourself, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. When you finally do it, the brain registers that relief as a reward. And so you're doing nothing but reinforcing the very behavior you're trying to not do. So what we want to do instead is to use a 10-minute rule. The 10-minute rule says that you can give in to any distraction. Right? Anything you want to do. You want to eat that piece of chocolate cake, go for it. You want to check email, go for it. Whatever it is you want to do, but not right now. So you're telling yourself, not yet, instead of no. Okay. So you can do that thing, but in 10 minutes. So what do you do for those 10 minutes? You do what's called surfing the urge. That's simply stepping back for a second, closing your eyes, using some of these self-talk principles and self-compassion principles that Ethan talked about earlier, to surf the urge because these sensations, while we feel them in the moment, they feel like they're gonna last forever, that craving, that desire, that's not how it works. They don't last forever, they're like waves. And so if we can simply tell ourselves, I'm gonna surf the urge and then when I'm ready, I can get back to the task at hand or when that clock runs out and the 10 minutes are up, yep, I can give into to distraction, no problem. I can do that thing that I said I wanted to do. Now the magic here happens that nine times out of 10, when you do this technique, and I use this almost every single day, because writing for me, I've written two bestsellers, countless articles, it still sucks. (laughs) Writing is always hard work. It's never going to become a habit. But what we can do instead is to ride out that urge for just 10 minutes, and if we still desire it, we can give in at the end of the 10 minutes. And what tends to happen is, over time, is that the 10-minute rule becomes the 12-minute rule becomes the 15-minute rule. And so we're building our capacity and most importantly, our self-image and our belief in our own self-efficacy to be able to withhold from giving into distraction with every whim.
0: Hold tight, everyone. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Young Improfiters, I'm about to be jet-setting all over the world. I'm going to London, Cancun, New Orleans, and New York to speak. I'm going to be up there with the bright lights and I want to be spiffy. I want to look fresh. And so I'm going on a big shopping spree. I got to get clothes, I got to get hair stuff, skincare stuff, makeup. But I'm not going to feel guilty about this shopping spree because Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Rakuten is the shopping platform for savvy savers. From May 6th to May 13th, they're having their biggest cashback event of the year. I'm talking about 15% cash back at hundreds of stores That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to racketon.com or download the Rakuten app at R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. Oh my gosh, I love that. The 10-minute rule. That was awesome, Nir. Ethan, before I move on to the next question, I want to give you an opportunity to respond if you'd like to.
1: Nir gave you a framework for thinking about how to manage these distractions. Let me give you another kind of framework for thinking about how to manage chatter in particular, which can which is a particular kind of potent internal distraction. And I think this framework is really useful for just organizing a lot of what we've talked about and what maybe we will talk about with respect to where you can find these different tools. I think you can find them, and the way I organize them in my book is there are three different buckets or categories of tools. There are things you could do on your own. Simple cognitive shifts or behaviors like engaging in a ritual that can be useful for managing chatter. So lots of things you could do on your own. Then there are ways of, there are tools that exist in our relationships with other people. So other people can be an incredible resource to us when it comes to figuring out how to work through our our worries and ruminations. But the take home is not any other person will do. So just talking to any person in your life turns out that's not always helpful. There's a particular way that you wanna talk to other people. There are some people who are really good at being chatter advisors to us, and so you wanna really think carefully about who those people are in our lives. Sometimes the people that care most about us are not particularly good at helping us work through our chatter and can actually make them worse. So there are lots of tools that exist in our relationships with others. And then the final category of tools that exist are what I call environmental tools ways of interacting with our physical spaces that can help us regulate these conversations that we have with ourselves that run off course. And things you could do here are enhancing your exposure to to green spaces. So going for a walk in nature, even if it's a short walk, there's a ton of data showing how restorative that can be to our attention when we find it waning. You could seek out experiences of awe. So try to experience the emotion of awe which is an emotion we experience when we're in the presence of something vast and indescribable, like seeing an amazing sunset or walking down a, a, you know, a New York City street and looking at a skyscraper. When we feel awe, what ends up happening is it leads to something called a shrinking of the self. We feel smaller when we're contemplating something vast and indescribable. And when we feel smaller, so do our worries. And then the last thing you could do when it comes to your environment is something that my wife absolutely loves, which is cleaning and organizing. I, I should say that my wife loves it when I clean and organize, which I don't typically do. I'm a pretty you know free spirited guy, but when I when I find myself experiencing chatter, I'll find myself organizing my office and and washing the dishes and putting them away neatly. And we know that that is another tool that people possess that can be useful for helping provide people a sense of order and control when the world inside feels anything but. So things you could do on your own, relationship tools and environmental tools, those are three places you can look to find tools to help you regulate your mind.
0: So Ethan and Neer, I have one last question then we're going to move along to Q&A. And that is, how do we maintain focus when we don't like the activity that we're doing? So for example, when we're bored or when we feel drained by something, I think that's when our mind starts to wander and we start to lose focus. For me personally, I will like create a game. You know, if I have to do, I hate doing proposals. I have a marketing agency and that's the one thing that like, I procrastinate and procrastinate and I hate doing those proposals, they're so boring. And I have to play a game like, okay, you're gonna do 10 proposals in in two hours and that's your game and if you complete it, you win, you know, and that's how I get through it. So do you guys have any cool hacks in terms of how we can uh, focus better when it comes to things that we don't like and I'll kick it over to Nier.
2: Sure, yeah, so this is where I think this work is so important because when something is fun, we, we don't have a problem, right? the discomfort is not necessarily something we should run away from. That I think many folks think that feeling bad is bad, and it's not necessarily the case. That discomfort can be used, those internal triggers can be used as rocket fuel to propel us towards traction. That escaping them can itself be a form of distraction. So leaning into that discomfort, telling yourself, you know what, (sighs) this proposal is really hard to write, because I have this rare skill that other people don't want to do this, and that's why it's difficult. That's okay, it's part of the process. And preparing yourself to know that that discomfort, that those internal triggers, the boredom, the uncertainty, the the stress, is part of the process and is what makes what you're doing worthwhile, I think is an important mind shift and not expecting every behavior to be uh, easy and effortless and, and, and something that you can turn into a habit necessarily. And then we can incorporate other techniques, right? For, you know, for one, I think what you're doing, Hala, is fantastic. I, I call it learning how to play anything, and, and Ian Bogos, a professor at, uh, at Georgia Tech, uh, espoused this technique as well, where we can learn to use play, not necessarily to have fun, that he says play doesn't have to be enjoyable. And many people say, wait, what do you mean? How can play not be enjoyable? He says, Ian Bogo says that play just needs to be used as a tool to help us refocus our attention long enough to finish the task. So you're doing exactly the right thing, adding constraints, saying, hmm, okay, I'm gonna work on this proposal for 15 minutes without distraction, that's my challenge, go. Or I'm gonna see how I can do this task in a new way, add some variability, add some uncertainty to the task. Those are the kind of things that we can use to play the task, but it's important to realize that we don't necessarily have to enjoy hard work. Sometimes hard work is is hard work very much for the fact that it requires us to be effortful.
0: I love those tips. Thank you so much, Nir. Ethan, I'd love to hear your perspective on how we can stay focused on the activities that we dislike doing.
1: You know, I just want to echo a lot of what Nir said. I completely agree with. We can experience negative emotions for a reason. They are elegantly adaptive in small doses. We just don't want them to consume us. But they can be really useful. And and you know, I I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy a life free of all negative emotions because I think that would not be a very successful life. And so I think that's a a really important insight that Near articulated that's worth worth keeping in mind. I think it frees us up quite a bit. If our goal is to never experience negativity, that's a really high bar we're trying to achieve. So I think we could take it easier on ourselves in that regard. You know, I think my go-to for the kinds of boredom that you're experiencing with those proposals is to try to transform the situation, which Nir hinted at too. So to reframe what it is we're doing. You know, it's so easy to focus on the awfulness of the act itself, but thinking about the the bigger picture, right? So why are you working on this proposal? What's the long-term goal you're hoping to achieve both with respect to this particular document that you're working on, but then even broader with respect to your company and what you're trying to do in the world, right? Shifting our focus in that way, those slight mental transformations with how we think about these experiences, that can be really powerful for, for motivating us and sustaining our attention in the face of of really, you know, boring things or or, or upsetting things. I mean, I did this all the time when I was working on my book. Like, as near hinted at, writing can be painful, like enormously painful. It's hard to get the words out the right way. There's a gazillion other things that can go wrong. We spend years sometimes working on books. Why would we do this? Well, you know, think about the bigger picture, the opportunity to really communicate science, to lots of people to make a difference in their lives. Like Those are really motivating ways of thinking about this situation that can in turn take an unpleasant experience and make it a lot more tolerable.
0: Was that great or what? Nir and Ethan are seriously the best in the business when it comes to staying focused and eliminating distractions. Whether it's the 10-minute rule, creating an alter ego for yourself, or even gamifying tough tasks, they have a ton of resources we can use to stay focused and become indistractable. Let us know how these techniques are working in your life. You can find me on Instagram at Yab with Hala or LinkedIn, just search for my name, it's Hala Taha. DM me and tell me what you thought about the episode let's keep the conversation going. If you haven't already, be sure to check out episode number 34 with Nir and I and 122 with Ethan Cross. We'll stick those links in the show notes and we'll also be sure to include the link to the full two-hour conversation on Clubhouse. All right, everyone, thanks again for listening. Keep crushing it out there and I'll see you next time.